Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. And I've got terrific news for you. Air travel was up 123% in the past month. Well, okay, let's not get too excited. 212,000 people pass through TSA checkpoints in airports across the country versus earlier, 95,000. So great, 123% increase. A year ago, the number was 2.4 million people, not merely 200,000. So why am I talking about all this? Because I've seen headlines, maybe you did too, bragging about the fact that air travel's up over 123%. You've got to watch out because sometimes people misunderstand or misread the data. So let's put it into perspective. And in fact, there is ample evidence that people are truly trying to find solutions and directions and strategies. Online brokers are reporting massive increases in trading activity, up as much as 50% over a year ago. This number, yeah, is a big deal. E-Trade, Fidelity, Schwab, Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, they're all reporting increased activity and new account signups compared to a year ago. At Robinhood, their trading volumes have tripled. Fidelity says clients have logged in 56% more than a year ago. Schwab has counted that their top 30 volume trading days in their entire history, and they go back to the 1970s, 27 of the top 30 volume days occurred during this pandemic. This is insane. At E-Trade, 54% of investors under 30 have been checking their portfolios on a daily basis. At Interactive Brokers, they opened 46,000 new accounts in April. They set a record in March for the number of trades. You ready for this? They've been averaging 49 trades per account over the month's 22 trading days. That's more than two trades per day. That's more than double last year's rate. And the brokerage firms are making it easier and easier, encouraging you to trade. 
Charles Schwab has introduced fractional share trading. They let you invest just five bucks for a slice of any stock in the S&P 500. You can buy up to 10 stocks in a single transaction. E-Trade has launched 16 thematic screens, allowing you to buy blocks of stock with a single click. Playing defense is one theme. Others are hedging with gold, undervalued large firms, up-and-comers, emerging economies, technology pace-setters. The firm also offers toast notifications. Messages literally pop up on your screen whenever a trade gets executed. At Interactive Brokers, they've added thousands of mutual funds to its platform. 25,000 mutual funds from around the world, including 8,400 of them you can buy or sell for free as often as you want. Free trading is now standard across the industry. Brokerages can afford to do that. Because they get fees from stock exchanges and market makers for steering transactions to them. So the more often you trade, the more fees they collect. Do you understand the inherent conflict of interest with what's going on here? As consumers are trying to figure out what's going to happen next in the market, can I get rich quick? Can I exploit the market's volatility and vulnerability? I'm going to see about trading. The brokerage firms make it free to trade. They offer new tools to facilitate the trading. And although it looks free to you, they're earning money on all of it. In fact, one firm, Sogo Trade, is now rebating some of those fees to its customers. Essentially, they're paying you to trade. It's kind of crazy because nobody knows what the trades ought to be. Should you be buying? Should you be selling? Is the stock market going to rise like the 900-point gain that happened earlier this week? Or is the market going to fall due to the continued impact of COVID? Well, let's put it this way. Half of the companies in the S&P 500 have withdrawn their financial guidance. You see, every year, in fact, every quarter, Companies tell Wall Street analysts how they're doing and how they expect to be doing over this coming quarter. They tell analysts, we're making this much money, we're selling that amount of product, here are the headwinds we're facing, whatever, to give financial guidance to Wall Street to help Wall Street analysts decide what the stock prices ought to be. Half of the companies have withdrawn their forecasts. Because they themselves don't know what's going on. Well, if they don't know, how on earth can you know? And this is the fundamental dilemma. In fact, the folly of it all is found in one simple statistic that I think most folks don't understand. I'll put the question to you very simply. How do stocks make money? Well, let me, let me phrase it a subtly different way. How do investors who buy stocks make money? Well, you're probably saying, well, golly gee, Rick, that's kind of obvious. You make money when the stock goes up in value. Well, you're right. Well, actually, you're half right. Yes, investors make money when stocks go up in value. But that's not the only way investors make money. Investors also make money when the stock pays a dividend. In fact, from 1926 through the beginning of this crisis, dividends have accounted for about half of the total profits of the stock market. Over the past 30 years, if you had invested in the S&P 500, the gains alone in the prices of those stocks would have been about 700%. 
But if you added the dividends that those stocks provided, your gain wasn't just 700%. Including the reinvested dividends, your gain was 1,300%. Yeah, almost half the profits of investing in stocks come from dividends. Why am I mentioning that? Because due to COVID, half of the S&P 500 have cut or eliminated their dividends. Ah! These companies are trying to stay alive. They're trying to stay in business. That's why we're seeing so many layoffs and furloughs, 36 million Americans losing their jobs, a whole lot of them at Fortune 500 and S&P 500 companies. And another big way to save money, not just cutting the payroll, cutting the dividends, reducing or eliminating the distributions that you're sending to shareholders. So think about this. If at the moment companies are saying, we don't know what's going on. We don't know how we're going to be doing in the next couple of months. We're withdrawing our financial guidance. We are cutting our dividends to shareholders. But meanwhile, investors have priced stocks at the highest level since 2002 based on the forward price-to-earnings ratio. This is a statistic where you compare the projected profits of a company to the current stock price. And when you do that calculation, the S&P 500 is trading at 21 times forward earnings. 21 times. Well, is that a big number? Yeah. The average P.E. ratio is about 15 Back in 2001, right before the dot-com bubble burst, guess where it was? It was over 21. Today, the number is 21 again. So there seems to be a massive disconnect between what's going on in corporate America and what investors are believing is going on in corporate America. The message to you is to simply ignore all the above. Don't try to trade because you think you're going to get rich quick because you think you're smarter than the other guy. I got news for you. If you're buying stocks, guess what? You're buying them from someone who's selling them. One of you has to be wrong. And you don't want that to be you. I mean, people who are trying to figure out what stock should I buy and, in fact, should I sell it instead of buy it, well, that's got to be creating anxiety. And, in fact, it is. The Investopedia Anxiety Index has hit an all-time high, 130. A score of 100 is neutral. So people are really anxious. Well, part of the reason you're anxious is because you're trying to make decisions over trading your securities right now. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's what a lot of people are doing. Two-thirds say they've altered their investing behavior. Younger investors tell Investopedia they've been buying risky stocks, hoping for greater rewards. Older investors say they've been selling stocks. Everybody's wondering if they're right or they're wrong. And these online services where you can just click away to your heart's content seemingly for free, they aren't resolving your anxiety. In fact, I'm convinced they're contributing to it. In fact, when you look at a survey of those investors who have financial advisors, do you know what they say they value from their advisor more than anything else? It's not the stock picking advice. It's the advisor's EQ, their emotional 
quotient. It's the advisor's ability to listen to their clients and acknowledge their needs, communicating in easily understood ways, showing that they care. You show me how you're getting that from an online brokerage service and a click of a mouse. If you're struggling, if you're anxious over what you should be doing with your investments, talk with a real human being, a financial advisor, a personal individual who has years, decades of experience, like us here at Edelman Financial Engines. We're happy to help you like we've helped so many others just like you. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. When we come back, I've got some more updates for you about COVID and its impact on Social Security, college, taxes, and crypto. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RIC, online at rickedelman.com. on personal finance. Sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Uh, The anxiety and the challenge of trying to figure out what investment decision you ought to make is leading to a lot of scams. The North American Securities Administrators Association That's a group of state regulators from not only all 50 states, but also Canada and Mexico. They warn that there are a lot of scam artists who are sending you emails with the following headlines. Guaranteed high returns, no risk. There's a shortage. Get in before it's too late. This is an offshore investment tax-free. You can profit like the experts. Get the secrets to success. Watch out if anybody touts any of that kind of nonsense to you. Or how about this one? Great investment opportunity. Your friends can't be wrong. Uh, Well, yeah, they can be. Or my favorite, you can trust me. I have credentials. Well, credentials can be faked. Say that from someone who has legitimately six professional designations. So you got to watch out for all this nonsense. Not only is the NASAA uh, warning folks, so is the Treasury Department and the IRS. They are telling us to be on the lookout for scams related to the economic stimulus checks. The $1,200 per person that everybody's getting, the $500 per child. Criminals are sending texts, emails, phone calls with phrases like stimulus check or stimulus payment. They create bogus websites that look like the federal government and make you think that you've got to give them your personal info in order to get the check. It's all bogus. It's all nonsense. Stay away from any of that. So, yeah, it's kind of dicey. Isn't it sad and unfortunate that in the middle of a crisis, rather than helping people, some are exploiting the fears and anxieties of others? Well, here's some good news for you. The IRS, did I just put the IRS in a phrase that began, here's some good news for you? Well, okay, trust me on this one, people. Here's some good news for you. The IRS is now allowing you to change your contribution amount to your flexible savings account on June 30th. This is really good news. Your flex savings account, your FSA, this is something people use in their workplace. Lots of employers offer it. They allow you to take some of your paycheck, put it into the FSA. You don't pay taxes on it when you do. And then when you use the FSA to pay for childcare, 
it's all tax-free. It's really cool, except for one problem. Due to COVID, nobody's paying for childcare anymore because the childcare centers are all closed. And yet you're still having to put money into the FSA. And if you don't use the money, you lose it by the end of the year. And the law didn't allow changes. Well, the IRS is now allowing those changes in light of COVID. Check with your employer if you have a flex savings account that you are contributing to. Also, you got a kid headed to college and you're trying to figure out how much financial aid you're going to get. The FAFSA deadline, that's the free application form for college that allows you to apply for financial aid. The deadline has now been extended to June 30. That's good news, too. And we've got a couple of bad news. First, Social Security. Social Security benefits next year are very likely not to rise. The cost of living adjustment, that is an annual increase in Social Security benefits, there probably will not be an increase in Social Security benefits next year for the obvious reason inflation is very low, which is a shame because inflation isn't zero everywhere. I mean, sure, we've seen gasoline prices drop dramatically as a result of this crisis. But on the other hand, the prices of eggs has gone up dramatically. And which is it that retirees buy more? Yeah, it's probably eggs. Food is more expensive. Gasoline is less expensive. The bottom line is retirees should not be counting on an increase in Social Security. And rich people are getting stranded increasing their tax liabilities. Now, I know you don't care because you're not a rich person. But you might want to be concerned about doctors and nurses who live all around the country and who went to New York to help rescue so many people from the COVID-19 infections in that city and in other cities elsewhere. Here's the deal. If you are home, hunkering, sheltering in place, well, okay, you're home and that's where you live. That's your tax residency. No big deal. Nothing changes. Nothing's different. But a lot of people have multiple homes and a lot of folks have left New York, in order to go to their home in Florida. Or quite the opposite. They're in New York. They wanted to go to Florida, but they can't because Florida closed the border. Florida said, we don't want the New Yorkers because of the risks that they're going to bring the infections with them. So some people are discovering that they are in a location different from where they normally live. Doctors, nurses who live in Texas, a tax-free state, are now spending months in New York helping out with the virus. Well, how does all this matter? It's real simple. In a lot of states, including New York, they declare you to be a state resident if you spend six months and a day in the state. Well, if people who would normally only spend a few months in New York and the rest of the time in Florida, where it's state income tax-free, guess what? They couldn't get to Florida. They're ending up spending 183 days in New York with the highest income taxes in the country. And especially I feel badly, not so much for the billionaires who just didn't manage to get their private jet to Miami Beach, it's those doctors and nurses who went to New York to help out and now are going to be deemed to be New York residents and forced to pay income taxes 
in New York for being a really nice person. So this is just an illustration of the bizarre domino effect, the unintended consequences, how Congress and the state legislatures are going to have to change their laws in order to accommodate circumstances that no one could possibly have anticipated when writing those laws in the first place. So if you're facing weird situations like this, speak up, because until we know the problem exists, Congress has no hope of fixing it. And in the meantime, make sure you talk with your financial and tax and legal advisors to make sure you're managing your personal finances as best as you possibly can during this crisis. Let us know if we can help. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. Call anytime during the week. My colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines will get your phone call. We will answer your questions. I'll hook you up with a colleagues in my office that you need to talk with to make sure you're getting the advice and information you need. 888-752-6742, online at rickedelman.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. More with the author of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. I'm really excited to tell you that we have finished production of my new PBS television special. It debuts on June 1st, Monday evening, right after Memorial Day weekend. Monday night, June 1st at 8 p.m. prime time. It debuts on WETA in Washington, D.C. If you're in the D.C. area, I hope you'll have an opportunity to tune into WETA June 1st, Monday evening, 8 p.m. for the special program. In this show called COVID and Your Money, I'm going to be giving you the answers you need right now to protect your savings and investments during the pandemic. I'll also be providing on the program the seven action steps that you can implement very quickly and easily to help you improve your personal finances. It's all coming to WETA Monday, June 1st at 8 p.m. And now, you don't have to wait till June 1st for this. Right now, it's everybody's favorite segment of the show, my wife, Jean Edelman. Hi, Rick. How are you? Doing wonderful, Jean. For those who don't know, Jean has a degree in consumer economics and nutrition and is an expert in macrobiotic cooking. And over the last 35 years, pretty much has had every job in this firm. Jean was pretty much, other than financial planner, she was the first everything here at Edelman Financial Engines. 
the past couple of segments here on the show, I talked about the challenges of everybody trying to figure out what to do, whether they should be buying or selling investments, the puzzle of managing their taxes when they're not living in their state of residence. Everything is quite a puzzle out there, isn't it? It sure is a puzzle, and that's my topic for the week. Because I've been hearing a lot about puzzles, too. Our friends are talking about the puzzles that they're doing. And not just small puzzles, huge puzzles, 1,000, 1,500-piece puzzles that they're working on. They've just got them laid out for the moments when they can relax and turn off their minds. And I've always, always you, enjoyed puzzles. You love puzzles. I love puzzles. I make trays out of puzzles and pictures out of puzzles. There are every, if you're in our life, you have a puzzle from me. I enjoy sitting down and just absorbing the colors and shapes and and just turning off the world and and putting my puzzle together. When I'm working on a puzzle, there's no pandemic and the world just kind of melts away. But there are life lessons to learn from a puzzle. Uh, of course there are. Of course there are. Here we are in lockdown, but some of the states are starting to open up. And what I feel is like the puzzle of our life has just been totally thrown up in the air. Yeah. Just totally. All the pieces are everywhere. And we're a little upset because now we have to put it all back together. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Humpty Dumpty. This is, it, this is, well, we, we can put it back together. And we we and, can. And it's not easy. No, no. Wait a um, minute. I just got into the groove of working from home, staying at home, no travel, no nothing. And now all of a sudden that life. It's upside. Just got thrown out and you have to start putting it all back together again. But what we're noticing is that as we are challenged with putting our life puzzle back together, some of the pieces are missing. The picture has absolutely changed. And we like organization, you know, like we like routine. And, and for those puzzle people out there, we love an organized puzzle board. But right now we feel very disorganized, very, very unbalanced. And so let's let's take some steps to put our life puzzle back together because we can rebuild it. Um, and it is one piece at a time. And it's one day at a time. And it's one breath at a time. And as we uh, start looking uh, to go out and back into our lives, we'll find that new normal. But the first thing I recommend is that we, we pace ourselves. I hope that we don't go back to the busy, busy, busy multitasking. You know, you're right. You really can't hurry a puzzle along. Exactly. It, it occurs at its own pace. Exactly. And the pieces come up when they need to come up. And so that's what's going to happen now. We need to just let it all come up when it needs to come up and flow. And so I want us to pause before we jump back into this new normal. Just because you're allowed to socially congregate doesn't, doesn't mean, yeah, you really necessarily should. But I want us to prioritize too. As we work on a corner of our puzzle, we also need to work on a corner of our life and we need to prioritize what's important. And, and hopefully during this, this pause in, in society, we have discovered what's important to us. We've also had a lot more time to focus and notice the world around you and us. And so I'm going to I'm going to put the spotlight back on you because you are Mr. Busy, travel, you come home, you get ready to leave and 
it's very funny to have spent these couple of months home with you because we walk around and you're like, well, what's that? What's that? I'm like, oh, my God, it's been there for, for years, you know? There was something under your desk the other day, and I was like, what is that? And you were like, it's been there since 2011. All righty then. But you just noticed it, uh, so that's the gift. I'm going to take that as a wonderful <laughs> gift that you finally noticed it, so... That's that's <laughs> that's that's what this is all about. Um, we're seeing things for the first time, and so we don't. I don't think we want to lose that. Let's not lose that. Let's pace ourselves. Let's take our time. Let's also not forget about our quiet. And I know most of us are probably tired of that and Netflix. But you know, this pause. Hopefully, we've practiced good self care. We've actually let our nervous system reset and relax. I'm, and I'm, I'm really hoping people are, are observing that about themselves. Um, we've had time to process our life, process our thoughts. The puzzle pieces, we're, we're reconnecting, we're finding new ways to connect. And we've got to take in this new change of view. This pause has given us the perspective. Nothing is as it was. The view is very, very different. And I'd like to put the word flow in because we need to go with the flow. If we become rigid and we try to go back, try to make it, it has to be as it was. No, we can't do that because that was puzzle one. (laughs) We're on puzzle two and puzzle two is we go with the flow. We just find these new ways and it will be a whole lot easier, and we won't put a lot of energy into areas that we don't need to. We just need to go with the flow. And so our new puzzle of life, this new puzzle, let's hope that it's not as negative because it's so easy to get bombarded by the news, but we really need to turn this news off and and go find positive things to absorb our time with. So the goal is to, to stay positive and don't miss this opportunity to update and change ourselves. Use this opportunity to be creative and really dive deep within us to really get to know ourselves, to prioritize, to find our personal growth. Because, because this, this puzzle, too, we're going to get a chance to live with more awareness, more gratitude, and more kindness. And who would have thought a puzzle would be so insightful? And who would have thought a puzzle would be such a great learning tool? I'm impressed. (laughs) So my word of the week is puzzles. (laughs) P is for the possibilities. I think we've all seen greater sides of many, many people around us. U is for understanding ourselves better. Z is for the zest of life. I think we're ready to really get out there and just taste life again. The uh, second Z is for Zoom, because that is the new way (laughs) we are conducting business and and connecting with others. The L is to look for the new in ourselves and the world around us. E is for eager, eager to be out in the world, but I think we're eager to feel safe. And S is to savor and soak up the moments. Don't let them pass. Just be happy and have a great day. That's Gene Edelman, co-founder here at Edelman Financial Engines, here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple Eight, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. Thanks, Gene. Great to be here, Rick. Thank you.
with the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Let's take some telephone calls here on The Rick Edelman Show. Head off to Boston. We have Dave with us on the air. How are you, Dave? Welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Uh, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I uh, listen whenever I can. Well, thank you. And I do have a question for you. Okay. All right. Some quick background. I'm 63 years old and married. I'm just finishing up 24 years as a teacher, and I'm retiring at the end of this year. Good for you. And um, my question to you is I have two options that, that are related to um, my pension. Mm-hmm. The first option is to take $50,000 annually. Uh-huh. But there's no survivor benefit. Right. The second option is to take uh, about 10 to 12 percent less. They're, they're estimating at about 43,000 a year. Okay. With a survivor benefit uh, for my wife, that would be about 25,000. Okay, that sounds like 14 percent less. Well, I mean, it's 43,000 to me while I'm alive, and then it would go down to 20. Five thousand for oh. her once I once I pass. Got it. Okay? So that's a lot less. The okay. trick is once you pick, you're you're locked in. Yeah, it's an irrevocable decision, and that's what makes it so scary because you only got one chance to do it, and you better get it right. So that's why I'm calling. Yeah. So I'm glad you did. This is one of the most important decisions retirees ever make, and we deal with this probably on a daily basis in our practice here at Edelman Financial Engines because. It's a big one, uh, and you framed it perfectly. Do you go with a single life option, fifty grand to you, but when you die, your wife gets nothing, or do you protect your wife by going with a joint and survivor benefit where you get a little bit less, forty three grand instead of fifty, but she'll get twenty five grand after you pass away? So here's how you'd figure it out. We begin very simply. If you were to die, would your wife be in financial jeopardy without that fifty grand? Uh, she wouldn't be in financial jeopardy, but it certainly would help to have the money. Okay. Well, we need to really quantify it, you know, to determine is it really truly worth your reduction in income? How, what is your age? We're both 63. Both 63. And, and how's both of your health? Uh, pretty good. So she's statistically, actuarially speaking, she's going to live longer than you. Women. Yes. Oh, and, and one thing, uh, neither one of us has a life insurance right now. Okay. So if you wanted to do this, well, the first thing we want to do is confirm that your wife does need the money. Or sometimes it's attitudinal. I remember one conversation I had with a client. I said to the two of them, you know, we really don't need for you to take the joint survivor because you're both fine financially. Even if you, you know, Mr. Husband die, your wife, you know, Mrs. Wife, you're fine financially. And so therefore you're both going to live a really long time. He should go simply go ahead and take the single life option. She said, no, he must take the other because if he takes a single life option, I'm going to kill him. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so my wife does work full time and she's planning to work another seven years. So that's her plan. She she owns her own business. So here's what we have to figure out. Economically, do we really need to reduce the monthly income in order to provide a benefit that your wife might not need? In other words, is it worth it to the two of you to suffer seven grand less a year so that she ends up with 25 grand for a few years very late in her life? And the answer may very well be no, it's not. It just simply isn't worth it. But we need to run the math, do the numbers to have conclude if which it is let's assume that it is necessary 
Let's yep. assume that we do need to protect your wife, because very often that is true, you know, especially for stay-at-home yep. spouses where they don't have any other outside income like your wife does. And the right. stay-at-home spouse has no independent savings of her own, et cetera. And the pension's and the only thing. And times we're in. Yeah, exactly. You know, or sometimes with a lot of households, the only income they have is the pension. So heaven forbid that that pension goes away. So let's assume that we do need the joint survivor benefit. I have two things I want to focus on, but here's the main one. Instead of you taking the smaller income of 43,000 so that your wife eventually gets 25 grand, why don't you consider this? Take the 50 grand, which is seven grand a year more. Put that okay. seven grand into a life insurance policy, which has a death benefit equal to a lump sum big enough to pay your wife the 25 grand a year she'll need because she won't be getting it from the joint and survivor benefit. Well, I ran the numbers on both term life and universal and uh, the poli- obviously the best one would be the universal option, but it turns out that the difference is, is considerable and I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, economically it, 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 it didn't, the cost of the policy was more than the seven grand a year that you're saving. Exactly. Great. I'm, I'm glad you ran the number. If I was 43, It'd be different. Got it. Okay. I'm glad you ran the numbers to verify that doesn't work because it often does. And that's why we like to run the numbers to see. And it doesn't work in your case. Fine. Throw that away. So let me go to the second item. Your pension probably has a different option than the one you cited to me. You've cited a benefit option where your wife gets 50% of your benefit. Your benefit is 50. You die. She gets half of that, which is 25. There's an alternative probably available Instead of a 50% survivor option, there's a 100% survival option. Have you considered that? No, I haven't considered that. So it's worth looking at. In other words, your benefit may drop a lot more than just 43 grand. It might go, say, I'll make this up to 35 grand, but when you die, she gets the full 35. She doesn't get the huge haircut. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hadn't, I, I did not see that too. There's, there is another option out there, but it's it's not the one, the one you're talking about. So it's what we need to do, and it varies from employer to employer, pension plan to pension plan. We always need to look at all the options available to see which one is the most cost efficient, which one economically is optimal. And it isn't necessarily the 50% survivor benefit. It might be a 100% survivor benefit. It might be a 75% survivor benefit. It might be none of the above, and it might be instead a term certain pension benefit, which means instead of getting your life only, which is what you're talking about, you get 50 grand a year for as long as you live, meaning you sign up today, you're hit by a bus tomorrow, the money stops. Right. The alternative is to go with what's called a 20-year certain, which says I'm going to get 50 grand a year for as long as I live, but if I'm hit by a bus tomorrow, my wife will continue to get those checks for 20 years. There's also a Mm. 10-year certain. There's a 15-year certain, et cetera, et cetera. The more certainty, meaning the longer they are guaranteed to have to pay it, the less you'll get on an annual basis. But it's worth looking at all of these uh, permutations and options available to see which one is optimal for you and your family, where we have to take into consideration life expectancies for both of you, other assets and resources, and how much money she needs in spending. Uh, Not only now, while the two of you are alive, but most importantly, what would her lifestyle be following your passing? Uh, So we need to go through all of that. Okay. Well, I definitely would uh, take a look 
if there was a certainty option out there, that would be uh, something that I'd have to consider. I didn't, I didn't see that, and they certainly they didn't mention it. So, do they offer you a lump sum option? Yes, they do. That's, there is a lump sum, and that's another choice because if you go with a lump sum option, now you can create your own plan. You can go invest the money to potentially generate your own fifty grand a year, and upon your death, the remaining balance is there for your spouse. And you could, if you want, take the money and buy your own annuity, creating your own monthly income guaranteed for both your life and your spouse's life, and so on and so forth. In other words, there's a lot of choices here. And you began this conversation yeah. by saying, Rick, do I do A or B? And what I'm telling yeah, you is, right. there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You didn't even talk about those. And that's what we need right, to do I... as part of a thorough financial analysis for you. Instead of trying to tackle it entirely on your own, You've done a pretty good job of it so far to the degree you've gone, but I would recommend you enroll the aid of a financial advisor who's experienced in doing this kind of analysis. We've got offices in Boston. Happy to help you go through the numbers because, as you said, you got to get it right the first time because there's no do-over. Right. Can I I squeeze in one more question for you? Sure. Okay. If um, I'm able to take um, my Social Security, which is going to be – there's going to be an offset on that. But it, would you recommend taking early Social Security if you just use the money to pay pay down debt or pay off debt or to invest we have, of waiting? We have to tackle that question in its entirety as well because a lot of folks who get pensions are not entitled to Social Security. Those who do, as you said, an offset, the amount of money you get from Social Security reduces what you were otherwise going to get from your pension or vice versa. And we need to determine when should you take the Social Security check. If you don't need the money, do you invest the money elsewhere? uh, Or do you delay the Social Security until you're age 70 to maximize the amount you're going to get from Social Security? We've got a lot of math to do here, Dave. (laughs) It sounds like it. And if you've never tackled this before, I would be really reticent to seeing you trying to do it all by yourself. I would encourage you strongly to talk with a financial advisor who's experienced at running these numbers and can give you thorough, comprehensive advice to help you optimize this very fundamental retirement planning question. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for calling. That was Dave with us in Boston. Do what he did. Call us, 888-PLAN-RICK. My colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines, happy to answer your questions, get you the info you need to help you avoid what could be costly mistakes. 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Online at rickedelman.com. You gotta be, you gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger. You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All I know, all I know, love will save the day. Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. 
Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines, the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend here on the program. Let's head on over to the telephones right away to Waco, Texas, and say hi to Gladys. Gladys, you're on the program. How are you? Hi, I'm okay. Thank you for asking. How can I help you today? Well, um, my husband passed away February 23rd. I'm 54 years old. I know. I'm 54 years old and injured in my job, but not totally disabled. Mm -hmm. I work for the post office uh, as a mail carrier, and my husband was a supervisor at the post office as well. Mm -hmm. I believe that they killed him with the stress that they have put on him recently, and he had a heart attack. Oh, Um, my. So, and they're trying to do the same thing to me. They do not like injured people. Um, it's very painful for me to deliver mail, and I want to retire early, although I have found out recently that I can't retire until May of 2022, so I have a couple of years to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I will receive $1,200 a month guaranteed annuity from his pension, mm-hmm. and I have about 225000 in a TSP account, and then I have about $360,000 in death benefits. I owe 224 on my house, and I have no other debt. And I have this federal advisor uh, who's telling me to use all that money to get a guaranteed fixed annuity and pay my house down to $50,000. Um, and it, I'm not sure if this is sound because he works for my Fed benefits, and he represented himself as being a federal employee, but he is not because I looked it up. And I... Um, I'm I'm vulnerable right now, and I don't want to get r- ripped off. Yeah. Um, so wow. I want to I want to do what's safe for me. And when I asked him, so how much do you charge, you know, for your service? He said, Oh no, they pay me. I don't have to. You don't have to give me anything. But I feel wow. like he has to be getting commissions. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. And the bank that they use, because I asked him, is uh, Nassau Reinsurance. N a s s a u. Uh, so let's let's uh, take a look at this. First of all, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for the loss of your husband, Gladys. Uh, and, Thank you. And also for your own uh, disabilities that you're facing. Um, your suspicions are well-founded. This individual is very likely to be a commission-earning salesman uh, who pushes annuities. And the way you describe his conversation with you is very typical among the unscrupulous members of that community. Not all people who sell annuities are crooks or scam artists, but unfortunately, Mm -hmm. some of them are. So many that the sales practices of annuities are often on the top list of scams in this country when you look at the federal and state regulators' uh, concerns over this issue. The The fact that he said to you that... Uh, don't worry, they pay me, is false and misleading. Obviously, they pay him with the money you've given them (laughs) by buying the annuity product. Um, Right. So you're right to be concerned. But here's the thing that I loved most about what you said. You said that you're vulnerable right now. And that fact, the fact that you are so self-aware about how you're feeling is priceless. One thing that you really do need to recognize, and obviously you do recognize, is that you are grieving right Right. now. And it has been very recent for your husband to have passed. You're dealing with your own 
uh, workplace struggles as well. And yeah. here's the here's the one message I want you to, to hear. I want okay. you to take a deep breath because mm-hmm. you don't need to do anything urgently right now. There are no financial decisions you need to make imminently. The money that you have saved, you've got a lot of it, almost $600,000 between the insurance proceeds and the money in your retirement account. You've got another twenty. $30,000 a year from your husband's pension, you're going to get a pension of similar amounts as well. You are in no rush to do anything, least of all making a decision while you're in a heightened state of emotional status. And we haven't even talked about the pandemic. Right. <laughs> you know, that can't be helping your mental state. Um, no. <laughs> and and also, you know, I, I only have one kidney. I donated a kidney to my husband. So, um, oh so I am, am a little bit at a risk, you know, because it attacks your kidneys if you do get it. So I have to be really careful and it's scary to deliver mail right now. But yeah, I, I, and, but the only thing that I did do was I moved all of my TSP funds to the G fund to stay safe right now because I saw that everything was losing right now. So okay. I just moved everything to the G fund to, I felt like that was a safe move. Uh, it was. Uh, and where's the insurance proceeds? 360 grand. Where's that money? Um, right now it's in my regular bank account. Okay. I paid down some of my house so that with I'm going to try to recast my loan if possible in the future so that I have a lower house payment. Good. Tell me and what's the value of that house. The value right now is about 425. Okay. And, and the mortgage is roughly half of that. One last question. How much money yeah. are you spending on a monthly basis? That I, uh, with my widow's brain, I'm not absolutely <laughs> sure because right now I order all my food, you know, the through that shopping app. So sure. it's more expensive that way, things like that. But I am being very frugal. I've always been very frugal. Well, are you, at the end of the month, you know, you get your paycheck from the postal service and at the end of the month, is there money left over? Um, no, because I pay for my daughter's uh, apartment so she can go to college. Okay. If there's no money left over, that means you're dipping into your savings to help pay for the rest. A little bit, yeah. Okay. So what is your annual income or monthly? Whatever. Right now, uh, it it was no, should be 67000 Okay. But because I'm injured, they um, keep putting me on workman's comp. They say they have work. Now they don't have work. And it's back and forth, and it's just a battle. So basically, from what you're telling me, based on the money you have available to you, the resources, the savings and and so on, and the amount of money you're spending on a monthly basis, you are in excellent financial condition. And therefore, you really don't have to worry about making radical or immediate financial decisions. What I would recommend is that you keep doing what you're doing, which is to leave everything alone. Stop talking to that guy because he is, <laughs> he is not serving your best interests. And no. give this time. I'd say give it another several months. There is nothing going on with your assets that are demanding that you engage in urgent action right now. And okay. I think the way that your money is saved is sufficient for the moment, especially considering okay. the volatility and uncertainty going on in the market. The last thing you need to be doing is investing money where it could drop a lot in value. That would just add to your anxieties. You don't right. need to be taking any financial risk anyway because you have sufficient assets to get you through. Yeah. And I think what you should simply be focusing on right now 
is your job. That's the most okay. uh, dynamic issue as to yeah. your work hours, the work responsibilities, your physical health, uh, and your effort to achieve retirement, uh, meaning leaving the Postal Service. That's where your energies and focus should be. Don't worry about the savings. Okay. Don't worry about the investments. Leave the mortgage alone. Don't bother trying to refinance. What's the interest rate on your mortgage right now? It's uh, 4.25. Leave it alone. I mean, the amount of money you would okay. save by refinancing is just not all that big enough to worry about, given everything okay. else going on in your life. So okay. um, I would say status quo, take a deep breath, relax, okay. have a cup of tea, go enjoy yourself as best you can in other ways. Don't worry about these financial issues. They literally all can wait. When you are okay. comfortable, when you're ready... Yeah. Give yeah. me a call back and we'll engage in a conversation about the advice and strategies that are out there and available to you. We do not need okay. to have that conversation today. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Gladys. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Take care. That was Gladys. She's in Waco, Texas, here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. with the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. We're heading to the telephones here on The Rick Edelman Show. Off to the Bronx. Rick is with us on the air. Hey, Rick, I'm Rick. How are you, Rick? I'm well, Rick. <laughs> How can I help? We can go back and forth with that a lot. <laughs> we sure can. <laughs> what can I do okay. for you? Well, I'm 67. I've had a long career, and I've, I've worked a number of different ways in the context of different communities and so on. And, and uh, when I think forward about what I want to leave my children as, as you know, what I what I taught, what I what I stood for, one of the big issues that comes out is dealing with the. Um, the inequality in our in our society and in the world, and issues of the environment, and just being more so helping them to uh, to connect to socially conscious uh, storytelling, as it were, or or life values. I'm, I'm secure financially. I was a teacher. I have a pension. Uh, I have my social security. My wife has a pension. I have uh, support from my family, monies. So. The issues become, for me, how much of those funds can I give to others? How do I take care of my family, mm-hmm. my extended family? Uh, how do I invest into socially conscious industries or investment funds? Just you know, going back to these old values that, that sustain us and sustain communities, uh, how do I move forward to sustain and to build? I'm giving you, Rick, the applause of the day. Because you have reached the the top of that hierarchical uh, effort, that pyramid that Maslow kind of talked about uh, with the whole focus of self-realization and recognizing that money itself is a tool. In the beginning, we need to accumulate money for survival. After a point when we're fortunate enough to accumulate enough money that our survival is assured, we can now look more broadly at how money can be used as a tool to help others. 
And not everybody does that. There are a lot of rich people who are incredibly selfish uh, and self-centered. And that's because money really doesn't change people. Money just exaggerates them. You know, nice people become nicer and jerks become bigger jerks. So what you're telling me, Rick, is that you've been a really nice guy your entire life. And you're now... I'm working <laughs> And right. you, you now have the opportunity to focus your good fortune on family and community, and that's really wonderful. And you begin exactly the way you've done it by recognizing what matters to you. What are the causes? What are the issues that our society is confronting that are your passions? You don't need me or any other financial advisor to tell you where you should be donating your money. What you need from your financial advisor are simply strategies to help you donate to the causes that matter to you the most efficient, effective way so that they have the greatest impact. There's nothing worse, and I can tell you this from our own experience, Gene and I have learned this lesson the hard way, that sometimes you give money to an organization out of genuine goodwill and charity only to discover that the money is either squandered or it is misspent or it is spent in a manner that doesn't produce any impact on those you're trying to help. And so due diligence is required. You have to evaluate charities with as much ruthlessness as you evaluate stock positions that you want to buy. We've got to verify that the charity is worthwhile, that they are operating themselves properly like a solid business should, that most of the money that they raise is going directly to the cause as opposed to being spent on administrative costs or marketing. We want to make sure that the organization is running honorably and efficiently. And there are also questions of how soon should you give them the money? Do you give them the money in a lump sum if you have it? Do you give it to them on an annual basis? Do you give them cash or do you give them property? Do you give them shares of stock or real estate? Do you make a bequest in your will that says they get your money upon your death? Should you take out a life insurance policy, naming them the beneficiary? Should you establish a charitable remainder trust or a charitable lead trust where you get income from the money you donate and they get what's left upon your death or the inverse, uh, where they get all the money upon certain circumstances being met. So there's a lot of complexity to giving money, uh, which is why I often joke that money doesn't solve problems, it just creates new ones because of all of these kinds of challenges uh, that you have to wrestle with. And when you're giving money in the support of family members, it gets even more dicey. Uh, Are the children able to receive the money? Would they do well with it? Or would it cause them to spiral down in their lives? For example, we all hear the stories of rags to riches to rags in three generations, that children of very wealthy people end up as drug and alcohol abusers. They end up in uh, bad marriages. They become lazy. Uh, When they inherit massive amounts of money, they lose the need or desire to be productive on their own right in society. So could it be possible that giving money to children actually causes them harm in ways you never anticipated or intended? So we have to evaluate psychologically, emotionally, behaviorally who these people are. What are their needs in life? How best can we provide them with money to help them improve their lives, reduce their stresses and anxieties, take away pressures they're otherwise experiencing? 
Uh, and we might need to provide service and, and funds to certain family members that is different from others, meaning you're now going to be dealing with unequal distribution of wealth. And it raises all kinds of questions. Should you give more money to the school teacher child and less money to the doctor child because the school teacher earns less than the physician? And therefore, does that mean you're punishing the physician for success? You see the point. You know, what if you have a child who's married to someone you don't like? What if your child has been divorced and you now have grandchildren you never see? Does that mean you disinherit those grandchildren? I mean, all kinds of questions come into this issue of how do I distribute my money to family and community where I'm going to fulfill my goals while helping, not hurting? And that's beyond the purview of our ability to answer all these questions here on the show because we have a limited amount of time here. But these are the questions that need to be asked. This is the framework under which we need to begin the process. And you're approaching it absolutely correctly by saying, I have resources I don't need that I won't need, and I would like to make them available to others. Once you've establish that, you move on to the second point, which you've also already done, saying, I know the causes that matter to me. Now we go to the third part, which is how best can I distribute my money to those causes in a manner that has the impact that I am seeking to derive? And that's where a financial advisor can be of tremendous value to you in helping you craft a strategy to get you where you want to go while helping you anticipate the side effects, often unintended and unexpected, that you can begin to anticipate and help prevent, such as reactions from the family, reactions from the community. One thing I'll tell you, as soon as you start to give money away, you're going to get bombarded by everybody else who wants some of your money. So you need to be prepared for how do you respond to those incoming requests, not only from family and charities, but also from outright strangers. So you need to have your eyes wide open with all of this. And a good financial planner who has experience in charitable services can really be of great value to you in this effort. We can be of value to you as well. We have offices in Manhattan and Grand Central, not far from you in the Bronx, and uh, happy to assist you as you work through all of this for yourself and your family and your community. I really appreciate your insight. Uh, I'm much better on the charity side than I am on the investment side. I really, <laughs> I was a teacher. I was a teacher. I ran a library. I did a penny harvest with kids. I ran a Sunday market. I raised money for local charity. And I'm really good at this. I really, I mean, I've gotten better at it. Let me say it that way. One more thing, by the way, Maslow. I, the reason you mentioned Maslow, because, you know, his five basic needs, uh, survival, friendship, Choice, empowerment, and fun, okay? Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, I, I don't wear any kind of jewelry or anything, but the only thing I did is I started going to the thrift, shop, thrift stores and buying ties. <laughs> so Monday's ties are survival ties. Tuesday ties are friendship ties. Wednesday, choice. You know, I, used to, I put the five into kind of an order. Uh, Thursday's empowerment. Today you get things done, and Friday's fun. So, of course, so the whole teaching thing is that you can get a kid to say, by looking at your tie. Well, what day is it? And, oh, it's survival day. <laughs> so Maslow really strikes with me too. He's a, you know, it's a very practical way of connecting to uh, to teaching and to learn, you know, to being in this world. So, well, I'm glad I was. Good. I'm glad I was able to be of help to you, Rick. I appreciate your phone call Take very help. much. Thank you for your insight. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. That was Rick in the Bronx here on the Rick Edelman Show. Triple Eight Plan Rick. 
online at rickedelman.com. by Talkers Magazine as one of the heavy hundred talk show hosts in America. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. We talk often here on the program on college, and understandably, it's one of the most important investment decisions that you and your child will ever make. Did I say investment decision? Yeah, that's really what college is these days. Long gone are the notions of going to college to make the world a better place. Nowadays, kids are going to college to improve their career prospects. And is the college decision as easy as it once was? Well, we all know the numbers. Incredible amounts of student loan debt, more than $1.6 trillion at this point. And COVID-19 has created a new wave of challenge as colleges around the country are wrestling with the question of whether or not they're going to open their campuses in the fall. If they go to online as they did at the end of this spring semester, Will you still be paying full freight? And does all of this really work? So to help us talk about the issue of college and the significance of today's higher education system, I'm very happy to bring on to the program Tony Carnavali. He is the director of Georgetown University's Center on Education and the Workforce. Tony, thanks so much for joining us on the program. My pleasure, Rick. Tony has just co-written a book called The Merit Myth, How Our Colleges Favor the Rich and divide America. Talk to us, Tony, about the premise of your new book. Essentially, we're playing a brand new game in the economy in terms of building careers for young people and moving them from youth dependency to adult independence. Prior to the early 80s, college really didn't matter much. 70% of the good jobs were for high school graduates, but All that changed dramatically in the 80s, and the value of the BA, for example, doubled relative to a high school degree, and where you went became much less important, and what you take when you get there is what matters more and more, because what you take essentially determines what you make when you're done. So it's a whole different market than the one that used to exist. Or are you saying that those who are spending 200 or 300 grand on a degree are wasting a lot of their money when that degree could have been obtained for half that price? If what they're after is the highest return to their investment, yes. And truthfully, if you're going to an institution that costs you 60 grand a year, the graduation rate is going to be higher because if you're paying somebody that kind of money, they're not going to let you drop out. I mean, if you look at it from a strictly economic point of view, they don't want to lose the business, especially in the last two years, because the last two years when they make the most money on you, you're into fewer classes, less direct contact time. One of the arguments you make in your book, uh, The Merit Myth, is there's really not a level playing field that depending on where you grow up, the high school you attend, 
and depending on who you're competing with in your application process, has far more impact on whether or not you get that acceptance letter. The game is rigged. So we know, for example, to give one statistic that makes that point, that if you're a young American from a low-income family, 30% of those high-scoring kids will have what we would call a good job. On the other hand, if you come from a rich family and you score in the bottom half of your class and in the test score distribution, you will have a 70% chance of a good job. So people don't like to hear this. It runs against our values, but it really is better to be rich than smart in the United States if you're going to make your way through school and all the way to a good job. That's Tony Carvalho. He is director of Georgetown University's Center on Education and the Workforce and co-author of the new book, The Merit Myth, How Our Colleges Favor the Rich and Divide America. Tony, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Have a good day. Let's go to the phones here on the Rick Edelman Show. Off to Chad's for PA. We've got Sandra with us on the phone. How are you, Sandra? I am fine. I am very excited to talk to you. The best thing that's happened to me since I've been in quarantine. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, considering that's such a low bar, I'll take that compliment for what it is. But thank you. That's very sweet. How can I help you? Well, first of all, I want to say that I do try to listen each week. And even if the subject isn't something that pertains to me, you're very entertaining. And uh, you make money topics very easy to understand. Well, thank you. I appreciate that a whole lot. That's my goal anyway. So I'm glad it's working for you. How can I help today? So I am 70. My husband is 71. Before the pandemic changed life, we were starting to get our house ready to put on the market. We want to downsize and move closer to our son, daughter-in-law, and grandchildren. The housing market in this area was very strong before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We don't need to move. Um, We are healthy and we can afford the house that we're in. We do not have a mortgage, but in February we applied for and obtained a very sizable home equity line of credit. Why? Because we are going to need to make repairs. Got it. Okay. And also, um, there's a possibility that we would build a home. Mm. And in that case, we might need to draw money before this house sold. Makes sense. Okay. So I would love to hear what you think the housing market will be like when the world goes back to trying to function again. And also, I would like to know what you think it will be like for a seller. I'm very nervous about strangers coming into our home, touching things, and possibly introducing the virus into our house. I know they do virtual tours, but I really don't believe you could buy a house without walking through the home. Uh, Well, someone's going to walk through the home, the real estate agent, the appraiser, uh, the home inspector, someone, even if the buyers aren't walking through the house, uh, somebody's going to. So I get your point. Uh, So where are you planning to buy or build your next home? Is it going to be in Chadsford or elsewhere? No, it's in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And what's the real estate market there compared to where you are? The housing there is uh, much lower in value than it is here. They do have a good turnover of homes there. So I think that, you know, before the pandemic hit, it would have been a fairly easy transition. Got it. So here's the issue. If you are looking at replacing real estate in the same community, then COVID really doesn't matter. Meaning if your house goes down in value, so is the house down the street. 
If your house goes yeah. up in value, so will the house down the street. So COVID isn't going to change the nature. You could easily sell your house and buy the house down the street. COVID won't matter. But as soon as you go to a different community, well, COVID could have a different impact in different communities. Some people might argue that urban areas are going to suffer more than suburban ones because people are less likely to want to live in densely populated areas due to fears of the virus. And there's a greater interest in having more outdoor space as a result. So you could argue that some communities will fare better than others in a post-COVID world. Others will argue that a broader economic circumstances will depress real estate values, but that's more of a universal thing. You know, if incomes are down and people's inabilities to get jobs uh, are hurt, then that's going to affect the whole country broadly. That's not a community-specific situation. So I would simply say this. Let's ignore the macro level of the conversation and focus on the micro level. In other words, forget about the real estate market and focus on you. Okay. If you can sell your house and get the price you need and you can buy the house at the price you want, then go ahead and do it. Who cares if the future value of that house falls? You're not planning on selling it. It sounds like you're going to live in it for a long time. Right. So go ahead. It's a lifestyle issue, right? Lifestyle, not financial. So go ahead with your plan. On the other hand, if selling now is spooking you because of the logistics associated with selling, strangers in your house, the hassle factor of trying to build a new house during a crisis where you might not be able to find the workers you need due to the pandemic or who knows what, then pause, delay your transaction until we have a better grasp of what is going to happen with the pandemic. Again, it's a lifestyle issue. Okay. I guess one of the things that concerns me is that if we talk with a real estate agent I think that they are so hungry right now that they're not going to be objective and they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, your house will sell right away. There won't be any issues. And then if we sign a contract, you know, we're obligated to go through perhaps a regular lengthy period of time where you have buyers looking at your house, but, you know, nobody's actually making reasonable offers. So? So, okay, I I don't like the idea. Well, you, got, of... you got something else to do. You're stuck in your house. <laughs> That's true. You know, so here's what I would say. Go find a realtor and say, yes. I'm willing to list my house with you on the following conditions. This okay. is the minimum price I am willing to list the house for. That's not necessarily the same as the minimum you're willing to accept. So, mm-hmm. but here's the price I want to list it for. I am only willing to do virtual tours. Nobody's coming to the house. And I will only accept offers from buyers that are provided virtually. And it must be, you might even go further and say it must be a cash offer. It must not be contingent on them selling their house. And those are the only deals I'll accept. And only wow. after you have that would you then be willing to say, okay, I will now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Allow one appraiser 
and one home inspector to come into the house. And you will be there when they are there, and you will walk behind them with Lysol. Okay. I like that. And if you don't get those terms, then you just wait a few months. Okay. Well, thank you. You're very welcome, Sandra. I'm glad you called. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That was Sandra in Chadsford, PA, uh, here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK is our number. Online, you can visit us at rickedelman.com. Money doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here, Triple Eight Plan Rick, online at ricestelman.com. Off to Wheaton, Illinois, in Chicagoland, we have Aiden on the phone. How are you, Aiden? Good, how are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Aiden, how old are you? I'm 10. 10 years old. Well, I'm very excited to be talking with you. Aiden, does your mom know that you're calling or your dad? Uh, yeah. Okay. And is your mom listening to this conversation? Yes. Good. Well, let me say hi to your mom real fast. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. So you're good with my talking with Aiden? Yes. Okay, very good. Thanks, Mom. Aiden, so what can I do for you? What uh, caused you to call me today? I have a question. Okay. Um, my question is, what company has the most money in terms of their stock, and where do I, where do I buy stock? On a website? When you ask which company has the most money, what do you mean by that? Um, because if a company has the most money... That means that my money will grow more if it has less money. Got it. If it has less money, I won't get as much. <laughs> okay. So I'm really excited that you're interested in stocks and interested in investing. That's really wonderful. In fact, Aiden, I'm giving you the applause of the day because it's really exciting that at age 10, you're already interested in this subject. So congratulations. Good for you. This is going to serve you very well. Uh, over the course of your life. But I want to make sure that you have the information correct because it's really important that you go about all of this in the right way. So one thing you have to recognize is that just because a company is big, just because a company has a lot of money, doesn't mean that it's going to keep making a lot of money. In fact, there are three different kinds of companies, big ones, medium-sized, and little ones. And history tells us that actually it's the little ones that make more money than the big ones. And that might sound a little strange to you, doesn't it? I mean, that doesn't seem to make sense that the companies that are smaller would actually make more money than the companies that are bigger. That doesn't sound right, does it? So let me tell you why that's the case. If you are a really big company, that means you've already achieved a lot of success. But if you're a small company, it means you're just starting out and you're trying to become one of the big companies. And so what we discover is that small companies grow faster to eventually become a big company. Let me put it to you another way. Uh, let's say that you uh, were trying to climb a rope. Do you ever do that in gym class? Yeah. 
And who has an easier job of climbing that rope? Somebody who's small and doesn't weigh very much or someone who's really big and heavy? Someone who's small. Exactly. The smaller you are, the more agile you are, the easier it is to do achieve your goal. And it's the same thing with companies. So don't assume that a big company is better than a little company. And this is why we want to make sure that our investment approach is the right one. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that we should necessarily only choose smaller companies. And there are two reasons. One, some big companies do grow really well. Some of the biggest companies out there, like Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft, uh, Google, they grow really well, even though they're already some of the biggest companies out there. Second, small companies are small because they're just getting started, and like you noted, they don't have a lot of money yet, which means they're riskier, means they might fail, they might not succeed at all, they might go out of business. So although small companies as a group over long periods tend to do better than big companies as a group, they're riskier and they might not individually do as well as you hope. And that's why our answer when we tell our clients to invest money, we tell them to do a little bit of both. Don't try to choose between a big one or a medium-sized or a little one. Do a little bit of everything. It's like when your mom tells you to eat a balanced meal at dinner. I'm sure you eat ice cream here and there, don't you? Don't you love ice cream? Yeah. And when you ask your mom if you can have ice cream, she says yes, right? Yes. But if you said, Mom, I only want to eat ice cream, I don't think your mom would go for that, would she? No, she wouldn't. And that's the same thing with investing. In other words, I'll bet your mom tells you to eat your green beans, too. Doesn't she want you to eat green beans? Yeah. But would your mom ever say to you, only eat green beans and nothing else? No. Exactly. And that's called diversification. It means having a balanced approach, not only to your dinner, but also to your investing. So I would encourage you to invest a little bit of money in big companies and a little bit of money in medium-sized and a little bit in small companies. And you can do this really easily with something that's called a mutual fund. So I'm going to give you two choices on how you can approach this. One way that you can do this really easily is with a mutual fund. A mutual fund is where you put your money into this and they will buy the stocks for you. They'll buy big stocks and medium-sized stocks and small stocks for you. You might buy three different funds, one for each size of company. Or, if you like, you might have more fun to pick the stocks yourself. If you have a favorite company that you like to buy products from, Mattel, or you like cars and you like the idea of a Corvette, uh, so buying stock in General Motors, which makes those Corvettes, or buying uh, Xbox uh, and investing in Nintendo, for example, um, you might want to buy individual stocks of companies that you like. That's another way you can do it, too. Either way works fine as long as you are enjoying it, that you can afford it, and that you're okay with the fact that you might make the wrong decision at any given moment, and while you're trying to make money, the investment may actually go down in value 
Is it okay with you if the money you invest actually goes down? No. (laughs) You have to be willing, Aiden, to tolerate investment losses because sometimes things don't go the way we want. When we make an investment, we're doing it because we are confident that the price will go up. But that doesn't always work out that way, and sometimes the prices go down. If you're not willing to let the prices go down, then you shouldn't ever invest at all. So you need to think about that, and I would recommend you talk a lot with your mom and your dad to decide how you feel about that idea. And they can help you if you do want to proceed. They can help you in opening an account and adding the money to it and helping you choose the investments that you would enjoy owning. Okay. Did that help answer your question? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm very glad. What I would love is for you to call me back in another month or two and tell me what you've decided to do, and let's talk about how it's going for you, okay? Okay. Aiden, thank you so much for calling. I really enjoyed talking with you today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're very welcome. That was Aiden. He's calling from Wheaton, Illinois, age 10, here on The Rick Edelman Show. And I know what the rest of you are thinking. Boy, if you had started when you were age 10, how much better off you would be today. Aiden's future is going to be very bright. I'm Rick Edelman, Triple Eight Plan Rick. My colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines, happy to answer your questions, get you the info you need. Triple Eight Plan Rick. That's 888-752-6742, online at rickedelman.com. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. I'm Rick Edelman. See you next week. And it's a great day to be alive. I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes. There's some hard times in the neighborhood. But why can't every day be just this The truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.